0: another episode of Cross Street Coaching. We are normally a podcast that talks about leadership, career, personal and professional development, all from a coach's point of view. And we are moving along with our Reluctant Entrepreneur series. This is going to be episode three. And if you haven't caught our previous two episodes, Reluctant Entrepreneur is kind of our flavor of what the modern entrepreneur is. It doesn't kind of fit into traditional molds. This week, we're going to be talking about money. Cashola.
1: Money, money, money. (sighs) Money.
0: So Diana, this is something that you wanted to bring up pretty early in on our series here. What are we going to learn about money today?
1: Yeah. Well, I think... One of the thing important things to look at is the fact that it's not just money. It, people have a relationship with money. There's all sorts of values and scarcity and abundance and beliefs. And our relationship with money is often very complicated historically, whether it's in your family or in your business. Um, so if someone is looking to... I, I think conversations about money benefit... Everyone, you know, it's like one of the leading causes of why couples divorce, um, why businesses fail. So, you know, it's a very important topic. So, I think it's just good to examine whether someone is pursuing the entrepreneur life reluctantly or not. Uh, this is something I actually coach around and speak around quite a bit. I think it's really important to have these conversations. So, I guess some of what is going to be learned today is just seeing the complexity of it, and then hopefully we unpack some of those things and. People listening ideally walk away better equipped to have some of these conversations or or look at the ways that their relationship with money might be influencing them in ways that they're not even aware.
0: Yeah, we started to dissect what the reluctance of the reluctant entrepreneur is. And last episode, it was a lot about risk. And money is a huge... If you take a look at what feels risky, money is a big, solid piece of that pie. Yes. And I do think that as things get a little bit more clearer as we start getting into workplaces where talking about salary and being open about pay bans and things of that nature become a little bit more commonplace in the workforce, it's still there's still a big taboo on it, mm-hmm. a personal taboo. Right, it's not like everyone starts going around with their friends and just say, "Hey, let's uh, pour a glass on. Let's talk about how much money you have. How much money you have? Let me tell you how much money I have." That stuff yeah. feels like weird. And yeah. there's this uh, secondary kind of ick factor, especially if you have it and other people don't. There's that that component as well. And if you don't have it, then there you have this weird kind of resentment relationship with the people that do.
1: Yeah there's a lot of emotion here, lots of shame. Um, There's judgment, you know, whether you have money or don't, there's judgment on both sides. Um, It's, it's very, it's very complicated. And then there's also cultural components in there as well. So um, cultural components with your upbringing, whether that's the country that you're from, or um, the religion or, um, gender, you know, there's, there's the whole kind of, from a diversity, equity, and inc- inclusion perspective, there's also, this also gets even more complicated. Like, for example, um, women, at least American women, are more socially conditioned to not have these conversations. But when we look at like the wage gap that, you know, how much of the wage gap is because, women are maybe not negotiating. And, you know, some studies say that people don't have the same response to how women negotiate versus men. And it's, you know, not to not to oversimplify and just say, Oh, it's these two genders. And, you know, this gender does this and just gender does this, but there's, there's such a complexity of layers in relation to money. And I'll just say for me personally, some of Some of what I realized in my own journey and kind of looking at, you know, one of the exercises people can do related to finances and gender, and uh, you've taken that Hawthorne Union class as well, is look at like, what's my money story? So what things from your upbringing have uh, impacted your relationship with money? And for me, both of my parents at some point were educators. And so there was a humility, right? You work really hard, you make a difference, you do work that makes a difference. You don't necessarily have a lot of money or the money to pay for everything. And there was a point in my life where I was friends with entrepreneurs and they were both entrepreneurs and they, they were very well off. And I realized, you know what, if I have this belief that people with money are greedy or I don't know or respect anyone with money, then that's a limiting belief. So that's some of where we get into it from a coaching perspective. Limiting beliefs just feel like the truth. We don't actually realize that it's a belief. And so the complexity of how people feel and react with money, oftentimes they just think is real.
0: Yeah, it's funny because that's the first thing I thought of is the first split, not just between those who have it and those who don't. If you're doing a cross-sectional, right? So you're doing the little mathematical grid and I'm making like the little plus sign with my hands here. The the secondary kind of divide is really gender, and if you think about that historically, that comes from the type of work that has traditionally done in America. But we're we're a long ways away from making model T's, you know, in in the, over by the Great Lakes and stuff. We don't actually produce a whole lot of manufactured goods here in the U.S. anymore. A lot of our work is service work, and traditionally, if you go back a hundred years ago right service work was very much tied to gender divides which is who takes care of the house who takes care of the kids and now here we are in 2022 and the ripples and echoes of those mentalities on what is soft work versus what is like hard labor still kind of kind of impacts us to this day but as further as we go out a lot of our work is like software engineering or it's customer service, it's service work, right? So that's, that to me is the first kind of dividing line between those who have and those who don't is whether you look at it is if you're a man or a woman.
1: Well, I think what's interesting too, is that um, if, you know, some of, some of it is also negotiation. So these, these statistics are old, so I, I don't have a kind of updated version of them, but something like, You know, 80% of men are more likely to ask for a concession or a salary increase than a woman. 80% of people who ask for a concession get one. So the thing is, is that, and and this is for Americans, I, you know, I, I know that like different countries may have different mentalities in this way. Um, but it, it's looking at if you and I walk into the same negotiation, and you ask for a concession, and I don't, then you potentially have more sick time, more leave time, more you know things like that. Now, some people talk about the wage gap as women, you know, if they've chosen a child rearing path um, or taken maternity leave or things like that, that they may have less time in the workforce. Um, at the same time, you know, if if people tend to not respond well when women are asking for more money, or it's not a kind of nice thing to do, like nice girls kind of don't get the corner office kind of thing, um, then that's going to impact our salaries going in. What we even ask for in an initial negotiation, how often we ask for a raise. So for me, it doesn't mean that there's not people in rooms somewhere kind of trying to keep the wage gap alive. But at the same time, I think a lot of it is, you know, Related to the episode we talked about with risk, how comfortable are people asking for things? How receptive are, are people to when they ask? So, some of I guess what we're talking about too, um, in addition to money, is also its confidence, its sense of self, its ability to kind of sell yourself as a um, as a product, as a service, which I think is important in a kind of corporate setting when you're trying to climb the ladder but then when we transition over to the entrepreneur life it becomes even more difficult people may undercharge or undervalue or if people say your service is too expensive and they don't want to buy from you then money i think you know as we look at risk there are other risks that would probably stop people from being an entrepreneur but i agree money is probably at least from my perspective the biggest one
0: i it totally is it totally is one of the the biggest factors because just connected to everything we've talked about before, risk, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, these are driving forces to your quality of life. Mm -hmm. So of course probably most of the things people are are, that are listening to this are like, what? There's no surprise. The the gender wage gap, it still exists. What are you talking about? This is 2022. (laughs) (laughs) So as we've had data and both working directly with clients, because it's it's very interesting because for as many as Many female professionals, as I know, there is still a difference in attitude towards confidence, as far as how confidence is exuded and how it's received. So, where should we start? Knowing that we're in a modern setting, we have years of data where people are arguing, "No, the wage gap doesn't exist." I have a cousin that makes more money than me, and she's female. Therefore, this whole big thing doesn't exist. We're like way past that stuff, right? That's like child's play where does someone even begin to recognize as far as how confidence and how they start going into how they view money and what to even do about that
1: yeah i think it starts with realizing like hey where where are you in this because it's not it's not part of the reason i teach a class on finances and gender and versus like women and money is because men or those who identify as men have similar, similar, but maybe different challenges. And we've talked about this as well. Um, you know, are you providing enough? Are you making enough? Like net, you know, it's Jesse talks about this in authentic masculinity, that TED talk where, you know, men are measured by Joe Ehrman says, what is it net billfold bedroom ball field, right? Mm-hmm. So, so much of kind of identity and stability and security is tied up with money. And then also a lot of times in partnerships, be they business partnerships or individual, uh, sorry, romantic partnerships or family relations, people don't talk about it. There's a lot of shame. Oh, you're spending too much. Um, we can't afford that. Or, you know, and then you'll have, you'll have businesses and relationships that end that the other, one of the parties maybe didn't realize that they were spending in a non sustainable way. So, I mean, in my opinion, it has to start with your kind of break even how much if you if we look at it from an entrepreneurial perspective, um, from an entrepreneurial perspective, it's like, how much money do you need to make sure that you're that you're breaking even that you you may not be making a profit just yet, but you're not kind of going into debt. And then beyond that kind of break even, what are your revenue streams? And what are the different ways be it speaking? You know, clients, things like that, that you're bringing in money. So that's the very kind of tactical and practical approach. Like, how much money do you need? How much money are you making? Looking at that, that's usually really hard for business owners or even kind of individuals and families to look at because there's so much emotional weight related to I should be making more, or um, we don't have enough, um, or you know, have I. Are we, do we have so much that I'm, you know, our kids are greedy now kind of thing or that we're being greedy. So there's, there's a lot of kind of the emotional. So I, I think some of it is actually just looking at the numbers, but then it's also looking at kind of what are the, what are the narratives? What are the beliefs that go into that? Like, if I have this, I will be safe and healthy and whole. If I don't have this, then this, or I will be greedy if I have this much. There's a, it's, it's kind of separating those out to say hey let's look at the actual numbers but then what support do people have from a kind of emotional perspective be it with a coach or a therapist or a financial planner to actually talk through like what do these numbers mean
0: what do these numbers mean when people are traditionally kind of calculating their base their base needs with cash what the first thing that pops into mind is Someone that is very structured, very attention to detail and has their whole budget, like on three color-coded Excel spreadsheets, because of how foreign I think that basic, that basic skill is of kind of calculating what your basic rate is, not just necessarily saying like, should I renew Netflix this month or should I put it off? I think those decisions are a little bit more commonplace. But if we're talking about a reluctant entrepreneur, someone that maybe currently is working a regular job and that is probably paying their bills in some way, that's not a very commonplace skill that everyone says, well, I know my number, the minimum amount of money that I need. And for some reason, doing that feels like it's only tailored to certain personality types that it's all about, that you got to love data, you got to love Excel. I mean, where does one even begin if this is something that's not even on their radar, is -hmm. trying to get awareness and trying to get maybe some basic, basic math. Mm-hmm. Without having to take a calculus or sales statistics course,
1: yeah. I mean, I I think it's just a it's it's a preliminary step because you know if it, let's say someone is working full time and they want to they want to walk away from their full time job, the hard thing is, and you know, I just talked to someone last week and they were like, "Well, I need to make six figures," <laughs> and it's like, "Well, can you make six figures as an entrepreneur? Absolutely," but. Are you going to make six figures as an entrepreneur right away? Not necessarily, and probably likely no. So it becomes a smaller step. Like sometimes the divide from, you know, I want to, I want to leave my full time gig, uh, and be a full time entrepreneur, or, you know, I'm not working now and I'm having trouble paying my bills and I want to make it work. It, it gives it makes it a little smaller. So it's, it's kind of, I don't know where, I don't know why the, how do you eat an elephant? I don't know. Like who's eating an elephant, but how do you eat an elephant? Like one bite at a time. Right. So, you know, it, it kind of, it makes it a little bit smaller to say, Hey, if you just look, and I'm not a big, I'm not big on budgets. Like I, I, that's too granular for me, but (laughs) looking at how much do you have? Like when you don't have money, or if you're going to walk away from a revenue stream or potentially take on a revenue stream, looking at like how much do you actually make need to make to make sure your kids are fed? And I'm not saying like, so your kids are in private school and you're driving a, the Maserati out there, right? <laughs> like, but you know, in reality, if your kids are in private school and you have a Maserati, like those are and those are things you want to keep, those are expenses that you need to look at. So I do think that a basic kind of understanding. How much money are we how much money do we need to sustain the lifestyle we currently have is is wise. And the nice thing is is that like mint.com, which is free, um, it'll do a lot of that stuff for you to kind of look at you know how much you're spending. For me, I an Excel spreadsheet makes it a little bit easier. I didn't do it from a how much money spending perspective, but I did it for like major bills like rent, car payment, you know if you have student loan payments things like that like what are what are your big bills so you at least have a sense because you know my break even so to speak is pro- is much less than i want to make each month but when i was a new entrepreneur there were months where i didn't make that and then there were months when i made that and then thankfully from a earning perspective i kind of left that behind so it just gives you a starting number because if someone wants to make Six figures, that's, you know, what, like nine grand a month? Like starting from zero and being like, oh, yeah, from zero, I'm going to make nine grand a month. Like that's, that's pretty high. Whereas if someone is like, well, to, to not go into debt or to not use my savings or to not have to bust out the credit cards, I can make, you know, I need at least three grand a month. That's become a kind of more smaller incremental step to work towards. So, so much of what we do in coaching, right, is current state versus desired state. And then what's, what's a step you can take to get there? So that's, that's my perspective in that. But a lot of people are so afraid of those numbers. Uh, they won't look.
0: Yeah. That's the, the other thing that I take away is to the other side of the coin is the emotional aspect, not just the tactical, like looking at your bank statements and how much you, how much you need to survive. It's the emotional progress that happens is when you think about starting a wage most people start at some kind of hourly wage and as you progress through the ranks your need line changes so i've talked on a previous episode that 10 years ago you know i was making an hourly wage but now with a couple kids and two cars i can't even imagine what it's like going back to a single car that you split but sometimes that's what's what you could get away with what you absolutely need but you do come accustomed to a certain lifestyle that you couldn't, you're like, how could I ever give this up? My organic lettuce, not me. Right. <laughs> and the the last component is that there's a lot of future looking and a lot of emotion and fear today about what's going to happen tomorrow that actually impacts the decisions you make today. I ref, I don't make decisions or I hold off on making taking chances in order to set myself up on what theoretically may be better tomorrow and that's another weird dynamic as well yeah so what is so, what is after someone has done all their excel spreadsheets they've looked at what's going on how do they even start to becoming aware of the emotions that's happening that could be impacting their decisions as they're moving into business ownership or if they're already a business owner just trying to reconcile what's actually happening and really grounding themselves into where they're at yeah especially with money
1: so this is this is there are a lot of resources out there web resources things to read um if you check out hawthorneunion.com our resource page there's actually a whole series of videos on money Um, that I've done with, with another, with another coach. And there's different resources related to kind of looking at your revenue streams. That one's called Executive Dashboard. For, in my recommendation, or at least what was helpful in my process was to, on the emotional side, not do it by myself. Um, and some of that is just potentially based on my personality versus, you know, to, for some people, they may be more comfortable doing reflections. So, you know, for example, in, um, so, uh, the book that we use for finances and gender is called, uh, oh, it's something about Prince Charming. <laughs> uh, it's bar- by Barbara Stanny. That's something to do with, with, uh, Prince Charming and there's exercises in there. So the thing is, is a lot of these books, whether it's Su- Susie Orman or Barbara Stanny or, you know, whatever, if there's someone on a podcast or even, you know, you can even go to the library and open up a bunch of these books. A lot of them will have reflection questions like, what's my money story? What's coming up for you? What does this look like for you? So I think, I think having a space, whether it's buying a separate journal or getting one of these books and kind of writing through, working with a coach, working with a therapist. Um, if you are pursuing the entrepreneur life, there are often resources available to you at no cost, whether it's through um, the Chamber of Commerce or Women's Business Center or SCORE um, is actually experienced entrepreneurs who are retired who mentor entrepreneurs and they have workshops and mentorship and all that stuff at no cost. So I I personally find the benefit of going through this with a person. Um a lot of financial planners may kind of have an initial session at no charge. Um, to to take a look but to sp- specifically take a look at the emotions of it because it's not just the it's not just the numbers and and to have a kind of like hey what is how is my life being impacted so it's it's not to say that you have to go down to two cars and you know you're still gonna feed both of your kids <laughs> right like there are there are certain things that you're gonna keep in your lifestyle but some of it becomes, you know, if you're buying coffee every morning, and that's like you know five dollars a day, you know that's actually that used to be, and maybe still is. Stash, uh, the investing company, they're like, hey, invest as for as little as five dollars a day. So you know, sometimes there's there's things that we don't even see that are impacting our money or how we feel. Um, and and I think talking to your spouse or business partner or your family or your kids can sometimes be pretty difficult. I do think talking to your kids about it can be helpful and there's books out there whether it's library or you know ordered about like how to talk to your kids about money but but sometimes actually just helping them with the education, helping them see, you know, that metal and paper, we put a lot of symbolism on that. <laughs> yeah, we do. And we put a lot of worth in it and those those narratives and kind of operating systems are running in the background, whether or not we're conscious of that. So, you know, I think some people are so afraid to look that they won't even look. But if you're not going to look at it, even in a supported space, so whatever that supported space on whatever timeline that you need, if you're not going to look at something, it doesn't mean it's not driving you anyway. Like I can choose mm-hmm. to not check the weather. The weather's still happening, <laughs> whether or not I want to check and make some conscious choices about that.
0: What's so funny is that the best example I have of this, because for me, when we first started talking about emotions, you think about these very super strong emotions, like I need this and I have to have that or i am afraid of that, is this goal, this goal workshop that I've run probably four or five times around town locally here. And I think the second time I ran it with a a maker space, like a co-op. Makerspace actually with uh, Eclectico, they were um, a previous the two owners of Eclectico were on the podcast last season, and I was working with a um, a ceramics artist, and she was talking about how much she just she just hates the books and hates social media, but she's got to do her you know she's got to learn QuickBooks and she's got to learn social media, and the first thing we started to dissect is okay, well how much is your time worth? And the ceramic artist had no idea. I said. Well, how much do you sell a bowl for? About 60 bucks. How many bowls can you make an hour? Two. I said, okay, your hour is worth $120. Yeah. You hate doing your taxes. You hate doing social media. Exactly. But the thing is, is that as an entrepreneur, the emotional connection was, I'm supposed to do this all. This is part of it. I have to learn this. I have to do social media because that's what other ceramic artists do. I have to learn the... the. Quickbooks because that's what other entrepreneurs or solopreneurs do. Even though it for her specific flavor for this porcelain artist, she absolutely detested it and probably took her twice as long. So what took her 10 hours to reconcile her Quickbooks after all the threads came in, she could probably outsource to a CPA for what 75 bucks an hour, even yeah. cheaper, but it's that it's that emotional connection which is I'm supposed to do it this way that you don't even start calculating as far as if you're outputting a product, what your hour is worth. And yeah. I think that aside from the spreadsheets, kind of looking at your budget, that may be the easiest part of it. That unbundling, that emotional automatic response to how you think about money and how that influences your decision, that's a tougher conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and you're transitioning beautifully from kind of and this is how entrepreneurs often transition and this was helpful for me I listened to a webinar early in my entrepreneur days and it was really helpful because it, initially it's all about cash because you have bills to pay and what cash am I going to make and how do I make my living but then it needs to become about time and what is your time worth because there's so much that you can outsource and people don't realize as well is that the there's an emotional weight to how heavy that was. You know, if we don't want to do something, uh, my, my parents call this time on soul. So there's time on soul versus time, time on task. On and mm. you, sometimes you'll carry something around for weeks that actually takes you 15 minutes and, you know, looking at the process of delegating. So I think the thing is, is that If you're like, Oh, yeah, I'm fine about money. And like, Oh, yeah, you know, like, uh, how many people actually have a cash reserve and are actually comfortable and actually have achieved their financial goals. And even if they have achieved their financial goals in life, usually, they're still sprinting towards the next goal, because that's what we do. We kind of, you know, either, either you're reaching for a goal, and you haven't gotten there, or you've gotten a goal, and then you move the bar and you keep going, or your lifestyle suddenly needs you to keep going to sustain that. So then, from kind of the entrepreneur perspective, when you're just starting out, and if as a solo entrepreneur or if it's a side hustle thing, then yes, you probably need to do all of the things. But you know, if it's really something that you don't want to do, one, does it need to be done, and two, can someone else do it for you? Because at one twenty an hour, she can pay someone for social media and for uh, CPA
0: work, yeah, CPA
1: taxes, things like that. Or, you know, if you even think about it, like your lawyer may charge more than you, but not getting paid because you didn't have a, a contract correct or, um, you know, getting caught up in someone else's legal fees because a lawyer didn't check it. Like that's their time's <laughs> definitely worth it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, but I think that that tie the money's tied to worth because so much is so much. And this is where I think identity comes in is that money is often directly correlated with worth and what someone thinks they're worth. Um, and so that that's part of where all the kind of emotion and the doubt and the insecurity come from.
0: And collaboration is a huge component. And it's not necessarily always saying that you have to outsource and lease everything, especially when people are starting out. But can you partner up with other people that share maybe some of your problems or share some of your concerns or where you're at. I mean, that's where networking groups can really come in handy. And if there's not anything local, shoot, there's communities of coaches, there's communities of if you're creatives, communities of creatives, and that's where really leaning into that. And it's not just learning from like, well, take it from me. I've been doing this for 30 years. It's really about connecting with other people that help unlock and help you reflect back. It's very coaching kind of way
1: of looking at no, it. No, but it's it's true. And that's one of the biggest values of coaching, but specifically group coaching, is because mm-hmm. usually people think that they're doing it like they're they're like, oh I'm the only one. I'm the only one yeah. that, that feels like I have imposter syndrome. Like, you know, it's one of my clients when I talked about imposter syndrome, they didn't they didn't even know what it was. And I was like, oh yeah, it's super common. I was like more people have it than not. And it was like <laughs> <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's when people realize that they're not by themselves, like, hey, you're a new parent. And it's, it's understandable that you're exhausted and not, you know, doing everything perfect for your kid, or, you know, you don't actually know if you can sustain this breakneck pace uh, in your career, or whether it's worth the cost like these, when people, when people feel isolated with things, and don't share, then oftentimes they feel like they're alone and they're not accessing that support. And I think that that's one of the detriments about money is that people don't necessarily talk about money, um, which, you know, understandably, because there is jealousy and greed and insecurity and things like that. So I'm not, I'm not just saying, oh, this is an easy thing to talk about. But because people don't talk about it, and then that turns into like, oh, well, I'm probably the only one who struggled to pay the bills or oh, I'm probably the only one that's done this. When, you know, if we I have a I have a, a coach that I used to work with. And it's so great, because now she calls credit card companies to get the annual fee waived. I'm like, Oh, yeah, do it. Right. And then if you I don't know if people know this, but it's like, if you ever make a late payment, and it's an accident, right? It happens if you call and you're like, Oh, I'm so sorry, you know, is there any way you can waive that fee? Most of the time they will, (laughs) you know, and, and this is, but there's so much shame there. I'm like, ah, I don't have enough shame that you can't waive a $35 late fee just because I was crazy busy and I didn't realize I didn't pay that bill. But that level of confidence and asking, you know, the, there's so much kind of, oh, I'm the only one facing this or no one can know I'm facing this because they think I'm a failure. And then people just, they're all locked up.
0: Yeah, there's that kind of the automatic, automatic response on, oh, well, they'll probably say no. So I won't even ask mm-hmm. for a credit card company when the credit card company works for you. You yeah. we pay them.
1: Yeah, you pay them exactly. For a they make so much money on us, you <laughs> know.
0: And the same thing goes with when when looking for collaboration, we realize, well, my problem is probably so complex, no one can answer it. When and then we don't even give it a shot. Or we're automatically prescribing. That our situation is so different. We don't reach out to support. It's so complex. It's too difficult. It's too hard. Those are the emotions to navigate. And those are the emotions to be aware of that prevent you from taking action today that actually sets you up for tomorrow. But we still worry about it. Still worry about it and hope I'm like, man, one day I hope I'll figure all this business stuff out.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the point is to be, to first like look at it. And then say, you know, is this going to stop me? Are you going to let this stop you? So I was fine with with my desire for security and financial security stopping me from being an entrepreneur. <laughs> I was fine with that. I was good with it. But then, then my life circumstances changed, and um, I had to change how I felt about that, and I had to change the kind of emotional component and the identity component in order to make a life for myself. So I think the thing is, it's like, it's looking at like, hey, how does this serve me? And I think people are just like, oh, this is how much money I have or don't. This is how much money I need or don't. And they're not paying attention to all the kind of societal, culture, familial, gender, um, other kind of aspects that are running in the background. And
0: knowing what you know now about what you ended up having to have to do because those choices were take away. Would you have done anything differently when you first were like, Oh, well, when you were kind of still on the fence about it and whether this was going to be
1: your journey? Oh, that's a great question. Knowing what I know now, I I would have been less frightened if I had known it was going to work. You know, that that's the relationship with risk, the relationship with money, the identity. I don't know that I would have chose it any sooner. So, I think I need to I think that's such a great question. I need to honor it with more time to think about it.
0: It's very common for people to want to retrospect and say, "Well, if I took all this information from the future and I jumped in the DeLorean with Doc and Marty and I gave it to myself, <laughs> I would make all these changes." Maybe the answer is is that you had to go through that process in order to get here. So, it's not really about changing trajectory. It's about allowing yourself the time to process and to go through these things, because that's what you need to learn these lessons to to learn about yourself and your relationship to money, relationship to confidence, relationship to your community or your network and whoever it is. These things don't happen overnight. And so whether or not you get it right or wrong, sometimes that's okay, especially when it comes to something as essential as paying the bills.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, if I didn't, if I didn't have that reluctance and that fear, then we wouldn't be having this season of the podcast because I think that the existing, as far as I know, the existing definitions of entrepreneur were working just fine. But I, I do, I do think it's always important to know like what our choices are. And what our options are. And my hope is, is that walking away from this is like, you know, whether someone feels driven by their money in a good way or not a good way, or yes, I would be an entrepreneur or no, I would never be an entrepreneur to just make sure that that's an active choice that you're making with your eyes open and you're doing your work and you're looking at like, Hey, what emotions are coming up for me and what? what ways or maybe am I unconsciously behaving in a certain way because my parents or my family have this belief about money. Um, but I, I do think it's it's valuable to talk about these things. And that, that doesn't mean that someone has to talk about it if that's not their way to process. But whether it's podcasts or articles or support groups or coaching or anything like that, just be like hey like it's unlikely that you're gonna face something for the first time by yourself that's never been faced before (laughs) right so knowing that can can then beg the question what's gonna support you and do you want to tap into that support wise words as we wrap up another episode
0: here great considerations thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode before we wrap up diana where can people find out more about you
1: yeah so linkedin or hawthorneunion.com we'd love to hear from you
0: and i am also on linkedin and also on hawthornunion.com. we'll put some notes about the show and things we've talked about in the show notes and until next time